0: Welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee with your host, Rick Alexander. I started this show to talk about all of the interesting, complex, paradoxical, and sometimes uncomfortable aspects of the human experience if you get anything from this show the greatest compliment you could give me is to share this show with somebody that you think the message may resonate with or to head to itunes and give us a five-star review additionally if you want to interact with me you can follow me at rickalexander underscore on instagram without further ado on to the show Hey friends, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Morning Coffee with Rick Alexander. I'm going to kick this off with a quote by Gandhi. He said that when the ego dies, the soul awakes. So in response to the last episode that I did, I had a few people reach out and ask me about the ego. And it's interesting because I think when most of us in Western culture, unless we've read about it, unless we're in the the world of psychology in some way, specifically depth psychology, we tend to think of the ego as its caricature. Like most people in Western culture, when you hear ego, you will think of what the ego is when it's inflated. And that's a good way of understanding something about the ego, but, but it's actually a kind of a malformed picture of what the ego really is and I say that because, and I've done content on this in the past. So if you've been listening to this for a while, you probably understand my stance on this. But then you also have things like in Ryan Holiday's book, "Ego is the Enemy," and you know that that might be true to a degree. But I would say that you are your ego, and so if you treat yourself as the enemy, well, then you have an inner war, and the inner war isn't necessarily one that anybody actually wins. So we have to have a better understanding of the ego, in my opinion, to understand its place in our life. So I thought in order to break down some concepts around ego, I would start with a section of my book and then I'll just kind of respond to it. So this comes out of chapter four of my latest book, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, which I will link up in the show notes of this episode. It's available on audio, Kindle, and paperback. At a fundamental level, your ego is a collection of thought patterns that have been formed in your mind based on the world that you've experienced. It is quite literally the I that you think of whenever you think about yourself. The word ego, translated literally from the ancient cultures it came out of, namely Greek and Latin, means I. It is part of you, but it's certainly not all of you. If your formulated blueprint It's your formulated blueprint that tells you how to stay safe while navigating the world as a finite I. When religions, myths, and stories focus on reminding the hero who they truly are, it is to remind them that they are far more than the finite I that speaks on behalf of their personality. If you want to understand your ego better, you can start by looking at your first reactions to the world around you. Your first thought about any given thing you experience tends to reflect your conditioning before your true desires. This is partly why we seem to have so much trouble aligning our reactions with our best interest. It is also why the quicker you react to something, either negative or positive, the greater the chance of you reacting with an error. So let's stop here for just a a quick second. When you're born, you have no real formulation about the world right you are in wholeness you might say and what happens is that you actually learn to divide the world up with words right and with concepts so you know, at first, you don't really know the difference between you and the couch. You definitely don't know the difference between you and your mom, right? And what happens is you, you form what people, some people call the ideaplex. Like you start to understand that you are separate from something else and that there are boundaries that aren't supposed to be crossed. And, and as time goes on, you divide the world up. And that's fundamentally how you understand the world by dividing it up. Really fascinating in Hindu cultures when people want to understand God better, they actually go into the woods and practice not dividing the world up. They practice seeing the world without the labels, without the concepts, because there's a lot of different ways that our minds work to become more efficient. But if you think about something like social efficiency theory or something along those lines, what that says is you actually don't have a fully formed picture of somebody, but you project. A idea about who they are onto them. And oftentimes what happens is that you keep that picture of them as they try to grow and evolve. And that picture of them, and you've probably felt people do this to you as you've grown and evolved, that picture actually kind of pulls them back into the place that they were. And so it's hard to see people for the evolutions and the strides that they've made in their personal character and growth because of this social efficiency theory. Because we tend to put a label on something and then so that we don't have to use ram and bandwidth to better unpack it and understand it we keep that thing as the label right and so the i that you learn of when you are developing is actually that right it's actually a collection of thought patterns like you you're constantly told do this don't do that you're taking in narratives, some of them are implied some of them are explicit telling you how to be in the world And all of that the summation of those things the narratives that you take in the things that you just sort of intuit to be true the things that you're taught they go to forming your eye so I continue. When someone cuts you off, it's your ego that pipes up next. When someone walks by you in their appearances and their appearance isn't up to your standards. It's the voice of the ego that you hear in your head judging them. When you hear of a good opportunity to make money, it's your ego that wants to take said opportunity before seeing if it's in alignment with what you really want for your life or if you'll be happy do- or if you'll be happy doing whatever it is that said opportunity will have you doing. The ego only understands where it is in the world based on hierarchies, which makes it the primary target for all get rich, quick schemes, snake oil salesmen, and charlatans who promise they have the answer that will make you feel whole. So that's interesting too, because it's the division that makes you feel like you're not whole. And we all sense this. We all feel this. We feel it when we're seeing marketing that's always telling you, you're not enough, you're not whole, but you could be if you bought this product, right? So they're targeting. The ego. They're, the par- they're targeting the part of you that is practiced dividing yourself from everything else. Of course, you don't feel whole. The hierarchy that is easiest for the ego to make sense of and climb is the one based on net worth and status. This is why we have so much trouble separating our identity from the material we gain, though we know intellectually that we will be taking none of that, what we amass with us when we go, nor do we want our spirit still clinging to it once we're gone. So, that's an interesting uh, concept in itself because, you know, we spend the first half of our life trying to fit in, right? This is the ego trying to understand how to be here. It, the ego feels as though its job is to be in charge of your life. And obviously everything I'm saying is making it sound as if the ego is a problem, But the ego is you, right? The ego is a manifestation of you on earth. You're not only ego, you're also soul, you're also spirit. There are things about you that are transcendent, that cannot be quantified by the finite I. And if you were to understand all of those things, you would feel whole, right? But when you live in the I, when when all you are is the finite I... There's this feeling of wholeness that tends to elude you. And because of that, and because the ego feels as though it's charged with navigating the world, we tend to, especially in the first half of life, look for things to put our identity in, right? So we put our identity in our job, and we put our identity in our relationships. And some people never grow past that. The problem is that you are always evolving through time. Right? And because you're always evolving through time, if you put your identity in something that's static, that's not evolving, you are going to get pulled away from your identity. There's gonna feel like there's an actual split taking place there, right? So part of you will be in this job and then part of you will know that that's only part of you. So I'll continue here. The ego in search of the feeling of wholeness will likely try to find many places to fit its identity throughout the first half of our lives. Let's talk for a minute about this underlying desire for wholeness. Since we all feel this deep emptiness on some level, we must learn to address it so that we can get through it. Imagine for a moment that you're sitting in King Arthur's court preparing for your quest to find the holy grail of wholeness and meaning. So mythologically speaking, the holy grail tends to symbolize this sort of attainment of ultimate meaning. Which... Actually, the ego doesn't actually get until it subjects itself to something bigger than itself, and that's another lesson for another time. Your soul, the benevolent king who gives graciously and understands all, is at one end of the table waiting patiently for the chance to speak. The ego, young and eager to make a name for itself, is at the other end of the table taking notes as each of your sub-personalities and motivations speak up. The ego is the filter for these subpersonalities and will make the overall decision to the extent that you allow it to. Each one of your subpersonalities is given a seat at the table, your emotions too. Fear is sitting over to the right, and as it proposes plans to reach wholeness, you realize quickly that it's not interested in any real quest for meaning. Fear doesn't want to go anywhere or do anything involving risk, and you know for sure that risk is the price of a worthy life. So you let fear express his concerns, but he obviously can't dictate the direction of the quest or you won't go anywhere. It becomes quite clear that fear wants safe nothingness for the future of your kingdom. So, I mean, you can just think about people that that whose ego give fear the biggest spot at the table, right? The the what fear wants for us is nothingness. Don't do that. Don't go over there. And so if it's the only one that if it gets the loudest voice, It has to get a voice because it is real and it is a survival mechanism, but if you give it the loudest voice, you're going to end up nowhere. Ambition then speaks up next. Ambition has been validated all your life, so he will be the one the ego wants to listen to. He's passionate and compelling, but you know that if he drives completely, he's likely to keep questing far past satisfaction. His appetite is insatiable, so if you follow him alone, it's likely that you'll end up on some desolate road, far from home, conquering without knowing why, and thirsting for what you know you'll never have. So ambition is the one in America that we tend to give the loudest boy voice, right? It's kind of like we think our lives are this sort of war between fear and ambition without realizing soul actually has a lot to say about who you are and where you should go. Um, and in this book, I actually give a whole chapter later on to what happens when ambition is the loudest voice within us. So after fear and ambition go back and forth for a while, insecurity, doubt, courage, faith, hope, and love all say their peace. The ego who has been listening to the deliberation tells you that he has the plan, that he understands what he must do to bring back the holy grail of wholeness. The soul will listen. Though ultimately in charge, the soul is the wise elder who knows the ego must learn of its own limitations and capabilities through experience. If the ego wants to learn through pain, the soul will let that happen. Now this is a lot of us, right? This is a lot of us who are... who are. We'll just call it learning through pain, right? But making decisions in life that lead us to places that are painful. Like oftentimes we think we know what we want and then we get it and we find that it kind of makes us miserable. Over the course of your life, the ego will take you to all sorts of far-reaching places. You'll be sitting in religious services and though you probably don't buy the full menu being sold, the people around you will be nodding their heads and understanding. So you'll wait patiently to see if this is it. You'll find yourself falling in love with people who drive you the best kind of crazy. And because love is the language of God, you will feel a moment of completion and the satisfaction of passionate romance before being banished from Eden. Some people will go mad trying to find the person who once completed them, but no one gets back into Eden the same way they left. You'll find yourself blissed out on drugs, and that first high will inflate the ego so much that it will momentarily know God's love and believe it has found the path. Over time, the highs will be lower and lower, and if you aren't careful, that route will take everything you have, including the soul seat at the table. You'll find yourself in careers that offer upward mobility, and the ego will be sure that this time they've finally figured it out. Just a little more work and a little more sacrifice, and we'll be there. Soon, you realize that the ego solution is always just around the corner. And this tends to be what happens, right? The ego puts its identity in something and it's not it. And so it becomes the next thing. And then we end up worshiping at the altar of more, more money. We just need more opportunity. We just need this one thing to work out. And this is the problem with putting your identity in thing and, try, and trying to be whole through material things in the world. But it's the, those are the things that it's the most easy to quantify, right? We have trouble... That measuring what we actually value, and so we end up valuing all of the things that we can actually measure. Knowing that meaning is so close and yet so far will beat down a human spirit over enough time. The worst kind of suffering is to be surrounded by goodness, but so enchanted by the ego's future plans that you're unable to touch or taste it. Eventually, after the ego sends you on enough quests and you come to grip with the fact that it doesn't know what to do and has tried everything, It will be ready to hand the keys of the kingdom over to the soul. Then the true quest can begin. Then you'll be ready to answer your call to adventure. All your life, you'll find that the desires of the ego appear to be at odds with what you want deep down. Those deep down desires are born of the soul and they're the reason you're actually here. The ego tends to see the world as a zero-sum game with only so many resources and opportunities and because of the fear that drives it, it must take as much as it can and it must do it soon. You can always convince yourself into not truly going after what you want deep down because the loudest voice you have is the ego and it will present lots of compelling evidence for getting what you need right now. The money and the opportunities won't be there forever so you must seize them now. Later, once you're secure, you can do what you really want. This is another great lie of the ego because what's actually true is that money and opportunity will always exist. It's you that will not. And this is where I'm going to end the reading. And I just want to end with a final reflection here to say, as a manifestation of you, the ego is going to end. It is finite like you are finite. Now, It's also important that we develop ego strength. So ego strength is the ability to combat the fear, to deal with the fear. It's the ability to know that. It's the ability to look at the ambition but not put it in the driver's seat, right? To put ambition in the passenger seat where it belongs. And the way that you build this ego strength is by serving something bigger than yourself. Right? If the ego serves itself, it tends to cave in on itself. It reduces the entirety of the cosmos to its size. And one of the reasons that we feel so much better when we're part of something bigger than ourselves is because in that moment, the ego is serving something bigger than itself, and so it feels this, this internal expansion, what you might call inspiration, quite literally, right? To breathe life into And so the dance that I'm talking about here between ego and soul is actually something really worth considering because, you know, what got you here might not get you there, right? And so you might have patterns of being in the world, or you do have patterns of being in the world, right? And your ego lives in those patterns. But there comes a time where the ego can't can't get to wholeness on its own. It has to serve something bigger than itself something like the soul. And so we end up in this place, usually somewhere around midlife, after we've spent all of this time trying to trying to fit in, trying to go after things that the ego can quantify, put its identity in. And it is our rock bottom moments in life usually that strip our ego down enough so that we can rebuild them in a more positive manner. And the idea being that if you can go through an ego death in life, then you don't actually have to fully die, right? But it's the process of death and rebirth that allows us to continue progressing in life, allows us to continue moving forward. And so what we're talking about when we go through an ego death is that perspective that's based on those patterns, right, has to die. And so oftentimes it's the tough things we go through, it's our rock bottom moments that put us in a situation where the ego is stripped of all of the things, all of its self importance, all of the things it puts its identity in. And it's in those moments that we actually are given a rare opportunity, right? Like a kairos, what the Greeks would call kairos, which is a, a rare moment in time where time opens up and opportunity flows through it. And oftentimes, the worst things that, that we think are the worst things turn out to be the best because they create that kairos they create that opportunity for the ego to rebuild itself in service to something bigger than its previously conceived ideas about how to be in the world so it it really is an opportunity though it's not one that we would often ask for and this is the hard part right because the ego tends to want to continue down the same road it's been on the whole time. And so it's likely that the ego isn't going to want to let go of anything. And oftentimes it's these rock bottom moments, it's losing the job, it's losing the relationship, it's realizing that we can't stay in the job because, well, because it feels like it's fucking killing us, right? It's making us miserable in some way, it's tearing us apart from the inside out. All of these situations you could see it as a bit of a grace, right? You could see it as the universe tearing something away from you that isn't going to serve you going forward. And so it's in those moments where we can voluntarily let our old perceived ways of being in the world, our old patterns die in the wreckage of that rock bottom moment or whatever it is we go through. And we have to find something bigger in order to serve. And so this idea has popped up in my content A ton in the last few weeks so that's interesting but because it wasn't planned but just like with the king archetype right if the ego never relinquishes the throne never serves something bigger than itself if the ego mistakes itself for the king that's a recipe for disaster that's ego inflation and it can't be it it can't be carried out for any amount of time because the ego is finite the ego is going to die and so there are all kinds of ways that if we don't sacrifice the ego and we don't go through the death and rebirth process right metaphorically and psychologically then then what happens is Well, you see this all the time, right? You see people, celebrities, for example, who don't let go of the limelight, right? So what's happening there is that their ego has built its sense of identity and character in the limelight. And if they don't let go of it, if they don't allow their life to transition and evolve and become somebody new, because you're always evolving, they become like a caricature of themselves, right? I'm thinking of like Ric Flair or someone like that. You probably like him, but it's just interesting to see this happen because if the ego doesn't if the ego doesn't die, it can't be reborn, and if it can't be reborn, it stays static. And while time moves on, the static thing becomes a caricature of what it used to be. And so your ego is well, it's your point of view, it's your perspective, and that perspective probably got you here. And so it's going to be painful when it when it dies. Right, this is the psychological death. Doesn't mean it's not necessary though. And so oftentimes we find ourselves in this point in life where we're so miserable and we can't figure out why. And oftentimes it's because, man, all of our egoic patterns, all of our ways of navigating the world have just, have just reached a place where they're no longer working for us. They're, they're not serving us anymore. And, and that can be a bit of a grace, though there's so much suffering there. It, it actually could be trying to lead you to a new way of being in the world, a bigger way a way where the ego serves something bigger than itself. And though that's painful because you realize that this life isn't about you, it's not about your ego, it's beautiful in the fact that you actually get to be part of something bigger than yourself. So anyway, I hope that this made sense and hopefully gave you some things to think about anyway. As I said, I'll link my book up in the show notes of this episode. I talk about that dynamic quite a bit more in the book but didn't want this thing to go on forever. I love you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk later on Morning Coffee.